Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Amen. Praise God. How are you guys tonight? Good. I love y'all. I miss you guys. Uh, I hope the break was good. And if it wasn't, welcome back. I hope this semester is good. Um, man, we are, uh, are going to jump into, tonight's going to be kind of a different night, maybe a little quicker night, and jump back into to worship. Uh, we're going to jump into some, some huge truths that we believe about God uh, and, then, and then check our hearts on, on the depth of our belief there. Uh, I'm going to start by telling a fun story because God commands preachers to tell cute stories at the beginning of their sermons. Uh, so I, I love, this is one of my favorite stories. I've told a lot. Some of you guys have heard, I haven't told it in here in a couple of years, um, but uh, my wife and I got a free trip to Rome. Uh, and the way that we got this free trip was really bizarre. I was on a layover in London and, uh, and I had this layover where I had to change airports. And so uh, I was just by myself, bumming it in London, just kind of hanging out at coffee shops all night, checking out London. And I ran into this super eclectic just guy who just was bizarre, but awesome and super friendly and also crazy loaded. And so I hung out with him all night and I like rode around in his, in his Mercedes and he showed me London. It was, it was shady, but it was awesome. And, uh, and then he dropped me off at the airport and I said later, and we swapped numbers and he would call me every once in a while. And this guy, this guy's a Middle Eastern guy whose family is in the oil business uh, in Saudi Arabia. So like, he's got money, right? It's a good business to be in, I hear over there. Um, <clears throat> And so he would call me every once in a while. We'd talk on the phone and he'd be like, hey man, I'm gonna be in the south of France all summer. Come and hang out with me. And I was like, ah, cool. That doesn't, my life doesn't work that way, but cool, man, have fun. Or he'd be like, I'm gonna be in Egypt for nine months. Come and spend half of the time with me. And I was like, ah, it's not how it works. And, and so I would just kind of, you know, like, nah, I can't really do that. And, uh, and then finally he was like, I'm gonna be in Rome and then Sicily and we're gonna be there the whole summer. And I go, okay, his name was Abudi, by the way. And so I was like, all right, Abudi, um, if I don't wanna take advantage of your generosity, but if you're for real, and if you really want to like fly Danielle and I out to hang out with you, like I could get off work for a week and I could come to Rome and hang out with you for a week, but I don't want to take advantage of you. He's like, deal, let's do it. I'll send you the e-tickets. Awesome. So he sent us e-tickets, which by the way, those e-tickets were through a travel agency. That was his name. So like his family owns a travel agency. And I was like, ah, what's happening? Who is this guy? And so we tell some of our close friends and family, like, hey, guys, we're going to Rome with a guy that Ben met. Oh, and by the way, I had met him a couple years before, so I hadn't seen him in a couple years. So it's like, so it's just like kind of weird guy who Ben met one time at a coffee shop late at night, and we're going to get on a plane and go hang out with him in a foreign country. So we might get sold into like slavery or something, but it could turn out really great also. <clears throat> and so we kind of let some family, we got on the plane. We knew we had a return flight. So we were like, you know what? We got a flight there and we got an e-ticket with a flight back. So worst case scenario is shady and we just hide from them for a week. And then we fly back. <clears throat> no big deal, right? This is a typical week. Um, so we fly there, we land, we get our bags at the airport and are walking through and we got one of those guys with the name, with our name on it, right? Like one of the limo driver guys. And sure enough, there's like this black Cadillac there picking us up. And so we are like getting in the back of this car and we got our Walmart jeans on and we're like, this is awesome. 
And so he starts driving us to the hotel, this like, you know, tax, this limo driver guy. And he pulls us up to a hotel that is in the center of Rome, the nicest, like crazy nicest hotel ever, right? It is just massively opulent and fancy. And we walk in and we're checking in and we've got like our Ross bags and all of our, you know, stuff. And, and we are like checking in at a super fancy hotel. And, uh, and it turns out that he was delayed on business. And so it was like, oh, what, is that, what does that mean? And they're like, oh, so your room is still fine, but, uh, you know, Mr. Abudallah, Abudi, he won't be here for a while. Like, he won't be here uh, maybe for another week. So you might actually miss him. He might not be in Rome before you guys have to leave Rome. And we were like, but we still get the room, right? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, the room is yours. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Free trip, free room, crazy fancy hotel. And then I looked, there's this restaurant in the middle of it unbelievably beautiful restaurant built in the middle of this hotel in the middle of Rome. And, and the menu is like a, a eight ounce Coke is like $90, right? And like a steak is like a Toyota Camry is like, we have to trade them for it. And it's just this insanely expensive, you know, hotel and like the little mini bar in your, if you're into that kind of thing, which I was don't know, but like, if you're into that kind of thing, it's like the mini bar is like a hundred, you know, it's just crazy expensive, everything. And so I had to put down a credit card for incidentals. And so we were like, okay, we're here. This is awesome. Praise God. How crazy is this? But we're not spending anything. Like don't touch anything that could break or else like there goes our entire life. You know, that just every, so just, let's just, enjoy the hotel, but like not touch anything, like sleep on top of the sheets in case we mess them up and like just don't spend any money accidentally. And so the first half of the trip, man, we have a blast, but like we're, we're in the crazy most opulent hotel ever. And then we're just slumming it, like walking around the streets of Rome, having a good time. Um, but like waiting for people to like finish their food and like getting their leftovers, you know, like <laughs> pretending we work at the restaurant and then like eating them in a back alley or like getting, you know, just cheap pizzas somewhere. And so we're having a good time, but you know, we're kind of penny pinching because we're, we're poor. And so we are like, that's all right. Halfway through the trip, <clears throat> a booty calls, rings. And I get it in the room and he's like crazy apologetic. And he's like, are you enjoying the spa? Are you enjoying the restaurants? It's got the greatest wine. It's got the, you know, greatest menu. Please take advantage of it. I feel so bad that I'm there. And I'm like, you don't have anything to be feel bad for. This is crazy. Awesome. And I'm like, no, I mean, we're not doing the spa. Like that's, you know, we, this is such a blessing. We don't need all that stuff. And you know, we can't really afford that. And he says, no, 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 no. It's all on my account. It's all on my business account. So please take advantage of the spa. Take advantage of the restaurant. Please, you have to. I feel so bad I'm not there. You have to take advantage of it. No joke. So I hang up. I pick up the phone. I call the concierge. I'm like, hey, man, can you confirm whose account this is on? Sure enough, it's on his account. Guys. <laughs> the last half of our trip in Rome was ridiculous. Like we got massages every day, multiple ones, right? We just, we went to town. We ate every meal in that restaurant. In fact, there was a, an actress, uh, Tilda Swinton, who won an Oscar for uh, Burn After Reading. She was the White Witch of Narnia. The White Witch of Narnia was staying in our hotel, right? Which was spooky. Like the elevator doors open and you're like, oh God, <laughs> Aslan, where are you? <laughs> she was eating in the restaurant one night and we saw her, she was like, no, no, she was at a table with a friend drinking champagne and we were eating dinner and she was like 40 yards away. And so I called the waiter of my wife is still like, my wife's like, this makes her nervous. And so I was like, hey, put her bottle on us. <laughs> so I bought 
a $1,500 bottle of champagne for Tilda Swinton. That's right. I did that. My wife was super nervous. I'm like, dude, you, we just got to play the card like we're billionaires because we look really poor. And so they were like, we'll do like the Mark Zuckerberg, just wear the, you know, really poor clothes. Anyway, everything changed, right? Like everything changed and we lived it up and it was awesome and it was great. And then I still have never seen a booty since then. And, um, but it was crazy, right? One of the craziest vacations we've ever had for a lot of reasons. <clears throat> Here's what I want you to remember. Here's why I tell you that. Everything changed, right? The reality was when we checked into that hotel, we were on his account, right? Like, like we were already on his account. He comes and lives in that hotel for two months. He's got eight rooms with his entourage and different random guests. I mean, the guy, his lifestyle is, it allows him to do that. And so everything in our room was already on his account. But the first three and a half days of our trip, we didn't really believe it was on his account. And it totally shaped the way in which we lived, right? It totally shaped the freedom and the amazing stuff that we could have been enjoying for seven days. But instead, we, I mean, we still had a good time. We were still in the hotel, but we were not taking advantage of all that was available to us. You see where I'm going with this? We as a ministry, where we're going tonight, where we want to go this next year, is be a people who say, man, do we really believe this? Are we walking in confidence in what God says he has purchased for us? In what God says he has done for us? In who God says we are? In what that means for the reality in which we live in? Do we really believe that? Do we walk in that kind of confidence? Tonight, I wanna, I wanna show you a, one of my favorite passages in Mark. I, I talk about this passage a lot, I think at Renovate. Um, but I, I wanna show you what God says happens when we believe. And then I want us to zoom in on just, man, what are a few of those things? What are some of those huge promises and truths that God has given us? Um, and do we really believe them? And so uh, look at Mark 9, starting in verse 14. We'll throw it up on the screen if that's easier for you. Um, Mark 9 verse 14, there's this really sweet story that I think illustrates this idea of, man, just how powerful our faith can be. Verse 14 starts this way. It says, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him, talking about Jesus, and, ask, and he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Are you tracking what's happening? Jesus walks up. There's all this commotion, all this crowd. His disciples are in there. There's all these people. Somebody's arguing about something. What's going on? This guy comes out and says, Jesus, I brought my son. I brought my son. I wanted to meet you. I need you to meet my son. He's got a demon. He's possessed. There's something wrong with him. He, he foams. He, he goes into seizures. I brought him, I brought him to you. Your disciples, they tried to heal him. They tried to cast out this demon. They couldn't do it. And Jesus' response is kind of this unique frustration. And he's like, how, 
how long have I been with you? How long, how long before you guys get it? Right? The frustration of the lack of faith that his disciples aren't able to do this. And there's this, this kind of frustrating scene when Jesus sees this, this boy and this situation that hasn't been resolved um, out of their faith. And then Jesus says this. He says, bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, the spirit in the boy saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it is, it is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. And then this is what the father says. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And look at what Jesus says in verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Jesus, in this situation, the disciples can't figure it out. This boy has a demon. This father is desperate. And Jesus says, all things are possible if you believe. Jesus makes this statement about faith, this man's faith, these disciples' faith, all of the people around them. He's, he's giving this illustration of, do you believe? All things are possible if you believe. Do we really believe that's true? Do we really walk in the confidence with a savior who is all powerful and all sovereign and all loving to walk in the confidence of all things are possible if we believe? So I wanna look at some of those promises. I wanna look at some of those truths that we've been told in scripture and just ask the question, do we believe in in the power of miracles. And, and I don't just mean physical miracles, which I believe absolutely God can do and have seen God do. I, I wanna go even deeper than that to deep heart-wrenching promises of God that our belief in them shapes how we live and impact and see everything else. And so I wanna start with, with this one. And I'm just gonna give you guys three tonight to kind of ponder and wrestle on. And that's this truth that we see in scripture that his peace is enough. We see this concept throughout the New Testament. I'm gonna give you a couple of verses to meditate on with this, but we see this concept that his peace is enough. Um, Philippians 4, 6, Paul says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known before God. His peace is enough. Um, I'm gonna ask you a question. Don't raise your hand because that'll be awkward. Um, who in here wrestles with anxiety? Who in here wrestles with the paralyzation that anxiety brings? The questions of, I'm not sure if I'm good enough. I'm not sure if I can do this. I'm not sure if they're going to like me that cement our feet at times, that cement our soul at times, that feels like we're carrying around just a soul of rocks, that feels like I, I, I'm walking into rooms, walking into specific challenges, walking into things and having those questions that just produce anxiety. Honestly, I think if we're honest, there are seasons where all of us wrestle with that. Every one of us wrestles with that anxiety that creeps around the corner in our lives. Am I enough? Am I good enough? Can I really do this? Am I really going to be liked? An anxiety that maybe we can't even find the root of the question that's paralyzing us. We just feel the effects of it that weighs on us. And yet, 
here we see in Scripture, Jesus says, hey, my peace is enough. Look at, Hebrew, look at Matthew 6, 25 and 30 through 32. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Um, Jesus kind of unpacks this idea that Paul says, hey, don't be anxious. Awesome. I'd love to not be anxious. We see Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 really kind of explain the why behind where some of that freedom from anxiety could be. Look what he says. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then he starts to give us perspective. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's going to start illustrating. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus takes our anxiety, and here he takes a group of people who honestly, they're just, they're worried about basic needs, right? They're not worried about popularity. They're not worried about job status. They're, they're worried about fundamental basic needs that are in question for them. Where are we going to eat? What are we going to do? There's also some status involved here. What am I going to wear? These kind of things and Jesus says, look, look at who your provider is. Man, adopt a different perspective. Would you have faith that the God who does this for birds, you're way more valuable than birds. He does this for plants and grass. You're way more valuable than that. He will provide for you. And Jesus is starting to offer to us this truth and this promise that, wait, anxiety is very real, but we have a God that's more powerful than that. Do we believe that? He says it. Do I really believe his peace is enough for me though? Second one, his satisfaction is enough. Hebrews 13, five, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here again, he's, he start, the author of Hebrews is starting to tell us like, hey, our, be satisfied in what you have, right? Stay away from the material things. So often for me, when, when, even in just the idea of satisfaction with stuff, man, with stuff, the more stuff that I get, the more stuff that I want to get. I think it's kind of an intuitive principle that maybe some of us experienced and maybe some of us just know of that that's a concept. But the reality of this idea that whenever, and I see it in little ways, right? This is super petty and super silly, but like I've never been a watch guy, right? And then my brother started working for Fossil, right? And they make watches. So my brother started giving me watches. This was a couple of years ago. Now I always want more watches, right? Like I only have a relationship with my brother so that he will get me more watches, <laughs> He doesn't work at Fossil anymore, so our relationship is really strained. <laughs> but, the, but the truth is, man, when, I, when we start to get something, even when it's just material possessions, even when it's just stuff, 
that stuff never seems to satisfy. And that's definitely what the author of Hebrews is saying is, hey man, the material satisfaction, don't chase after that. In fact, run from it, right? Keep your life free from the love of that stuff because that stuff will not satisfy you. But also if I'm truly honest, man, I, I am prone to, man, I want more stuff because it's gonna make me feel better. And it's amazing how addicting Amazon is and how all of a sudden I feel more satisfied as a person after I've spent a little time on Amazon. <clears throat> and then, then you also return all this stuff and it's a total hassle. People, man, I, I find my satisfaction, not just in stuff, I find it in people, man. I find my joy in an unhealthy way People are great and we're designed to be in community. But man, I find so often an unhealthy joy that I seek after by, man, do these people like me? Am I accepted? Am I approved? Am I, am I, am I beloved by these people? Am I, have I won these people over? And man, there's something, this bottomless pit in me as a, as a man that I, I need other people's approval to satisfy me. I, what what other people who I care about, what they think about me is going to drive how satisfied I feel. And when I don't feel appreciated or loved or I don't feel celebrated enough or whatever it is, then all of a sudden my tank gets emptied because I have a hole in the bottom of my tank and I need to fill it with more and more approval of people and what they think. Psalm 1611, the psalmist says, you make known to me the path of life. And then he says, in your presence, talking about the presence of God, not the approval of other people, but in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And there's all kinds of ways that we seek satisfaction, whether it's stuff, whether it's approval of other people, whether it's just coping mechanisms that become the way in which we satisfy ourselves. And those coping mechanisms of when we're stressed and when we're anxious and when we're down, those things that we go to to satisfy that hurt or that discouragement or that depression or that gap in us. Those coping mechanisms that we have in our life that you run to, he's saying, he's saying his satisfaction is enough. Psalm 107.9, for he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, he fills with good things. He satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul, he fills with good things. Do I believe that? Do I believe that? Does my life actually show that I believe he is the one who satisfies my soul? Do I believe that? Do you believe that? Last one. His grace is enough. Um, his peace is enough. His satisfaction is enough. These are massive promises and truths in scripture. But also this truth of his grace is enough for us. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, Jesus, yet without sin. Let us then, because of what Jesus has done, because of his victory, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Man, what does the shame in your life look like? Uh, what are the things that you feel like this is too far? I have gone too far with this. Um, whether it's something that happened 
that you did, something that somebody did to you, something that you are tempted by and feel so much shame that you even feel that temptation? What are those things that you feel like, man, I cannot expose this because God's because ultimately what we're saying is saying God's grace isn't sufficient for this. It's sufficient for these outer things on the shell and I can, I can get God's grace on this and I cussed in traffic and I, and I did this thing and I cheated on my taxes. Okay, I can, I can kind of, but, but man, this stuff, man, this is, this is shame. This is shame that I'm not believing God's grace is enough to be able to say, God, here it is. Here's my confession. Here's my confession between other brothers and sisters who will then speak God's grace into it. They can't know this. They can't know this. Maybe I can privately, secretly wrestle through it with Jesus one-on-one, but man, certainly I wouldn't have the faith to expose it because that's still too powerful. And his grace isn't quite believable enough to fully cover that. I'll be seen differently. I won't be forgiven. Or maybe it even affects how you worship. Maybe you sing and you worship and there are lyrics that when they come up, you almost feel a tinge of, I don't know if I'm allowed to sing that because of what I did yesterday, because of how I've been living the last two years, because of what happened a year ago, because of this thing in me, because of this identity that I attached to myself. I don't know if I could really sing that in all honesty. I couldn't, I couldn't share Christ with somebody. I couldn't be obedient in that. I couldn't serve or be a leader at Renovate because, man, if you knew me and what I've done and shame keeps us buried, but we just... Do we believe his grace is enough? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. We never earned it in the first place. The grace of God extends to those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. We never earned it in the first place. And yet we still walk in shame because, man, do I really believe his grace is enough? Um, last verse I want you to sit on for this is Romans 8, 1 through 4. And again, I think Romans 8, 1, sometimes, man, some of us, there are people in this room who I know, they know Romans 8, 1, and they love it, and they got a back tattoo and a coffee mug that says it, and they're all about it, and I, I love that. And there's other people who I think you're going to hear this verse, and maybe it's the first time you've ever heard it. I believe this is true. I believe this is true. And whether it's the, the thousandth time you've heard it or whether it's the first time you've heard Romans 8 verse 1, it's true. And with the depth of its truth, penetrate our hearts so that we believe. Paul says, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. For any of my sin, all of the stuff that I deserve condemnation, because of Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. And then he lays out the gospel of Jesus, really beautiful. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. No longer do we have to walk timidly. We get to appreciate the freedoms because the law of the spirit of life has set me free to enjoy that. For God has done with the law, the rules could not do, weakened by the flesh, could not do it, couldn't live up to the life I was called to live up to. I couldn't live up to the law. I couldn't make it. But sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Sending Jesus 2,000 years ago, historically, our God showed up in flesh. And because he did that, he took on the weight of sin and died the death, living a perfect life, died the death I deserved. Died the death, the penalty that you deserve. Took that on in order that the righteous requirement of the law, what it, what it takes for me to earn it, that righteous requirement that I couldn't ever do might be fulfilled in us. Might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So those who say, I am no longer going to live in my own flesh. I'm no longer gonna try to do this through religion. I'm no longer gonna try to do this by just trying to follow the rules. I'm going to surrender and put my faith in Jesus Christ as the only hope for my sins, the only hope for my connection, the only hope to experience the promises that he's given me that I'm not experiencing. I'm, I'm showing up, but I'm not experiencing the freedom because maybe I haven't surrendered to that. Or maybe I have and I'm in the hotel, but I'm not walking in the freedom and in the confidence that the gospel has already purchased for me. Because what this says, what this says is that his grace is enough. That's what this says. Do you believe it? Do you believe his grace is really enough? for maybe what you've done, maybe what you haven't done and feel guilty that you haven't done this and you're not good enough. And maybe it's not about past mistakes, but it's just a performance mentality of, yeah, I just haven't quite earned that. And I need to keep doing more. And this exhausting treadmill, do you believe? Let me tell you that story ended in Mark chapter nine. Jesus says to this dad, if you can, all things are possible for him who believes. And I love this. This is, this is what I need for my, my weak faith all the time. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, he's desperate. He cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. In the same breath, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. I believe, help my own belief. Tonight, is not about um, five steps to have peace with God or, or three ways to find your satisfaction in Christ or one application to experience God's grace. That's not what tonight is about. Tonight is about setting an honest pace for where we want to be as a ministry this next year. Owning the fact that we believe. We believe but we are also a room full of people who are crying out as a ministry saying, help our unbelief. We believe God is who he said he is. We believe God does what he does, but God help our unbelief because there is a gap there in my heart and our hearts where I say, Lord, would you deepen my faith? Would I see more life change in my own life and other people? Would I take steps of faith and boldness? That's where we're going this next year as a ministry. 
where we're going this next year as a ministry is boldly proclaiming that truth from this stage week after week after week after week, what we believe about him and a group of people who will all hopefully by the guidance of the Holy Spirit come to a place where we can say we believe, but week after week say, God, deepen those roots. Deepen those roots so that I might believe more. That's where we're going. Tonight's not about giving you five ways to deal with the peace. And it's about this is where we're going. We believe, but help our unbelief. And if that's you, that's a great place to be. Now walk with us. And so it is about us casting vision to say week after week, we will stand on the stage and proclaim what is true, what we believe in a way that should change our lives if we really believed it. But also we are not just a community of people that revolve around a 30 minute talk once a week. We are a body of Christ. And what we wanna be this next year is a group of people who know each other and walk closely together and serve next to each other and lead next to each other and hold each other accountable and push each other to believe deeper and reveal what God is doing so that other people's faith might be increased. That's what we wanna be. That's who we are. That's where we're going, man. We, we, talk, about, we talk about serving. Man, come, serve with us. Serve with us. Not just because we need help grilling and, and cooking and cleaning and serving coffee, not just because we need help, but because we believe that something really, really powerful happens when you get into a community of other people who are all saying, we believe in Jesus, would that belief deepen? We believe something really, really powerful happens. So honestly, show up in this room at seven o'clock on Sunday night and say, man, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I don't know what this year is gonna look like, but man, I'll work a grill with somebody. I'll hold a door with somebody, man. I'll serve alongside these other believers who are fighting to deepen their faith, man. Come and be a part of leadership. All of our, what our leadership is, is it's just a bunch of people saying, how can we love our city better? How can we love each other better? And we come into my house and we eat dinner and we laugh and we tell stories of what God's doing and we challenge and we encourage each other and we pray for each other. Man, come and be a part of that. You're welcome to be a part of that. I wanna encourage you, man, don't just be a spectator. Be a part of community that's gonna spur you on to believe deeper. Man, if you're a college student, if you're specifically a college student, there is an unbelievable college ministry attached to the Aardvark that, that wants to do this, that wants to challenge you to, to not only proclaim the truth from that stage, but also to walk that out on your campus. If you work it as an engineer or a nurse or a teacher, man, come and be a part of this thing and walk out what your faith looks like in those areas. If you're a married couple, man, come and see how that affects your marriage. Man, would we believe together more and more and more? That's where we're going. That's what our hope and heart is for this ministry, for you, for me. We believe Jesus is who he said he would. Father, keep deepening our faith. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are so good. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you that you love us where we are. Thank you that your grace is sufficient. Thank you that your peace is more powerful than our junk. Thank you that Thank you that we can be satisfied in you. Thank you that there are these huge, heavy, weighty, powerful truths. And we see them and we see the verses and we see it right in front of us. God, would we be like that desperate father bringing his son? Oh man, the desperation in that man before Jesus who says, I believe he wants to see that life change. He wants to see that freedom. Would we be like that desperate father who says, I believe in you, Jesus, but show me those shallow areas so that I might believe deeper. God, that is not gonna come from 
passionate preaching or great music or good activities. That's gonna come from your spirit. So in the name of Jesus, spirit of God, do the work that only you can do for your glory. Amen. We are so glad to be back at Renovate. What a message from Ben this week, challenging us to truly believe the promises God has for us. So join us this semester as we continue to look at what we believe in scripture and ask God to help us in our unbelief. One of the ways you can do that is by joining us this Sunday in the chapel from 7 to 8.30 as we have our serve orientation and talk about how we as a community come together to worship God and serve Him by making Renovate happen each week. It would be a joy to see you there. And if you want to talk about anything else or even need prayer, reach out to us at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw. And we would love to hear you out. Enjoy your week and we hope to see you again soon. Take care, Renovate.